I'll ask you to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5. You can be seated. Exodus chapter 5. Sounds like we're getting rushed by rain again, day after day. <laughs> it's awesome. We got a lot of green around here, and it's beautiful. I tell you what, it's been awesome to see just so much green, long grass, meadows that are not dry. They're green as can be. We want to thank God for all the rain that we've gotten this year thus far. Uh, the title of our message tonight, as we move into chapter five, is this: When following God makes things worse. When following God makes things worse. You know, a lot of times we'll buy into things that make life better, things that make life easier, simpler, more convenient. When we made the transition from a 890 square foot condo to a 2,400 square foot house, as you can imagine, that came with a lot more cleaning, about three times the amount of floor space to vacuum. And my wife would spend, I mean, hours every week vacuuming the entire house. She loves keeping a clean house. I'm thankful for that. I'm glad that my wife's not a slob because the rest of us are. And I'm uh, just kidding. Well, somewhat. Uh, but she is a blessing. I'm thankful for that. She, uh, but she had this vacuum and it was just taking so much time, you know. And then you see a commercial about a Roomba or an iRobot, or a shark uh, vacuum, you know, robotic vacuum, and, and you start to see this thing on this commercial going back and forth, and they're advertising, they're building it up about how much easier this could make your life, and we completely bought into that, and uh, got one of those for my wife uh, for a gift, and it has paid its due for her, saved her hours of time. As many millions of Americans have, I am completely bought into Amazon. I do not like shopping. I don't like going to the store. In fact, the only time I go to the store anymore is when I'm buying clothes because I want to make sure that they fit. Everything else comes from Amazon. You know, you get two-day delivery, sometimes overnight delivery, as close as we are uh, to the warehouse there. And so if I need batteries, I go to Amazon. If I need a filter for my refrigerator, I go to Amazon uh, for next week as I'm preaching at camp. I needed to get a Nerf gun for an illustration I'm going to be using all week. And I'll just tell you, I did not drive 20 minutes to the nearest Walmart and uh, walk inside that store and go over to the Nerf gun aisle and search up and down the Nerf gun aisle for just the perfect Nerf gun. I did not do that. I opened up my Amazon app. I searched big Nerf gun. <laughs> And the first one that it pulled up, I said, that'll do. And I clicked on it about two minutes of time. I had that thing bought and it was here just a couple of days later, saved me probably over an hour's worth of time. And so I'm, I'm all for something that makes life easier. If you've ever shopped with three kids, you know that the best thing to come out of COVID-19 was online grocery shopping. Uh, my wife, I mean, you can imagine taking three kids to the grocery store. It's a lot easier when you just put them in their car seats, you pull in and you go to a parking spot, you call the number, you check in, and about five minutes later, they're bringing all the groceries out to you. That's a whole lot easier than having three monsters inside of a little cage hanging off of it and, and sneaking all the Twinkies and all the Ho-Hos into the shopping cart. It's much easier to handle it that way. And so we tend to buy into things that make life easier. 
You know, when you bought into following God's will for your life, you probably had some kind of thought that it was going to make life a little bit easier. But somewhere along the line, as you became more and more committed to God, you came to realize that, you know what? Some of my commitments to God have actually made life more difficult, more complicated, more even frustrating at times. It's made life worse even at times, more or less convenient for you because your commitment to God can limit your options for work. You can determine I'm not going to work at certain places that are going to uh, cause me to compromise on my commitments and my belief system, or I'm not going to work weekends. And so there are some companies that won't hire you because you're not going to work on Sunday. And so you can find it to be more difficult to get a job. Your commitment to God may limit uh, sports opportunities for you or your kids that, that, you know, they do a lot of games on Sundays now, or a lot of games on the weeknights that might fall on a church night, or there are a lot of traveling teams now. And so a lot of times those uh, travel times are on the weekend and your commitments to God in church and serving him are, are taking precedence over that. And so it just makes, makes some things a little more challenging, a little more complicated. Your commitment to the right kind of marriage might make it challenging to get married because <laughs> it's going to place some limitations on the kind of person that you're going to date because the Bible talks about not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And so you're determined, I want to make sure I marry someone that's in accordance to my belief system. And, and you can set some high standards for purity and that you're, you're not going to move in together first or that you're going to stay pure until the day that you get married. And so you make some of those decisions and there are some people that just don't want to sign up for that. And so it can make marriage more challenging and difficult. Sometimes you might start following God and obeying God in a more committed relationship with him. But as soon as you make that commitment, it's like the bottom falls out of, out of life and, and life just comes crashing down on you. And when you're trying to follow God and life gets harder, that's oftentimes when you end up discouraged. How do you deal with discouragement when you're trying to follow God and life's falling apart. <laughs> that can certainly be discouraging because like, we've talked about this before. We kind of have this mindset that, hey, if I'm following God, then God's just going to pave the pathway for me. And life's going to be simple. Life's going to be easier. Life's going to be more convenient. And I'll just say this. If you decide not to go out and get drunk, life's going to be more convenient. <laughs> If you decide that I'm not going to get on drugs, life's going to be more convenient. If you decide that you're going to uh, just get married to a person and be committed to them, life's going to be a little bit more simpler that way than if you're constantly going from person to person to person. So there are aspects about following God that does make life simpler, but most often what we find is it can make life more difficult. After all, Jesus did say, if any will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That the pathway to discipleship is oftentimes paved with suffering. And a lot of times you can think that if you're suffering or if you're going through difficulty, you can be discouraged because you think you're not right with God in some way. But here's one thing to kind of consider as a, as a believer and a child of God is if life is going haywire, it probably means you're following Jesus. <laughs> If you're suffering, it probably means you're following Jesus. Because Satan likes to attack, and this world likes to attack those who are following Christ in a committed relationship. But let's just be honest. Our problem oftentimes is we get discouraged 
when we go through challenging circumstances, especially when they're the direct result of following God. By the time we come to Exodus chapter 5, Moses, Aaron, and Israel have completely bought in to God's plan to deliver them from Egypt. I mean, think about it. In their mind, the oppressed condition they're in, deliverance sure sounds a lot easier. It sure sounds a lot better. It sure sounds a lot more convenient than bondage. Let's think about it that way. But what they come to quickly find out is when you follow God, you are going to face times when things get far worse before they get better. And what happens is the entire people ends up discouraged. They end up discouraged, including Moses and including Aaron. And what I want to do tonight is I want to show you how Israel came to the place where they were discouraged and specifically how Moses came to deal with that discouragement in a right way, kind of, (laughs) because God wants us to understand how we need to deal with discouragement, especially when we're following him, life gets tough, discouragement rises. We need to know how to deal with that discouragement. The first thing that I want you to see in our text tonight is that Moses and Aaron, when they followed God's instruction, things got much worse, much worse. Look at verse one. It says, and afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And so you've got Moses and Aaron here. They are doing exactly what God told them to do. He told Moses, I want you to meet with Aaron in the mountain. He met with Aaron in the mountain. He showed him the signs and and Aaron believed and Aaron was going to be a mouthpiece for Moses. And God told them to go before the elders of Israel and that when you go before them and you show them the signs, they're going to believe. And that was exactly what they did. And the third part of his instruction was go before Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go that they may come and offer a sacrifice unto me. And so they are completely bought in. They're completely in line with God's plan here. And yet you'll look at verse two and it says this, and Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who here's literally what that is. Who is I am? (laughs) Talks about that name, Jehovah. Who is I am that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And so they're following God and Pharaoh just flat out says, no, I'm not going to let you go. I don't know who this God is that you're talking about. And so the basis of his refusal to let them go is the fact he doesn't know God. He's not going to obey God's voice. He doesn't care what God wants for Israel. He doesn't care what God thinks. He's going to continue doing what he wants to do. I think back to when I received that anonymous letter in the mail last year uh, when I, from when I was canvassing with Jenna and now they called me abusive and all of this. And, and they said, you should not be teaching your children this irrational nonsense. You should be teaching them science and critical thinking. And you know what my first thought was when I read that? The gall of this complete stranger to write me a letter and say, this is how you should raise your children. <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't know who you are. You wouldn't even have the boldness to write your name on there. This is anonymous. You wrote it in chicken scratch. You didn't want anybody to understand who's writing this was or anything. You are a complete stranger, no connection, no relationship. And you're going to tell me how to raise my family. (laughs) That's what Pharaoh's saying right now. He's saying, 
I don't know who this God is, this I am. That's a really dumb name for a God. And I mean, I don't know what you're, uh, what you're doing or what he wants. me. I don't care what he thinks. I don't even know this God exists. Why would I do what he wants me to do? No, I'm going to keep running my country the way that I want to, not the way that you say your God wants me to. <laughs> See, sometimes your decision to follow God is going to impact people who don't fear God. It's going to impact people who don't know God, don't love God, don't know Jesus Christ, have no relationship with him. And because they don't fear God, they don't care about what God thinks. They certainly don't care about what God wants for your life. And so when you come and you say, I I can't work on Sundays anymore, they don't care about what you do on Sundays. They don't care about how you want to worship your God. What they're thinking about is how am I going to fill my staff? No, you can't have Sundays off. And if you decide you want to take Sundays off, you're going to need to find a job somewhere else. You know, why? Because they don't care. God is not at the forefront of their mind. And so when you make that decision, it's, it's to be expected that you're going to face opposition from people who don't care about God. I mean, God told Moses in the first place, uh, Pharaoh is not going to let you go. <laughs> You would think that they wouldn't be so dumbfounded by this. God's told him multiple times, actually, you're going to go and he's not going to let you go. And I've got a purpose in that. He's going to harden his heart. I'm going to harden his heart. And and I'm going to display my signs and my wonders. And so he's not going to let you go. Listen, God, uh, God wants us to understand here that when you make a commitment to following God's will, it's going to impact people who don't care about God. And therefore, they're not going to care about what you want to do. You got to expect that. But I don't think they quite anticipated the response that was coming because if you look at verse three, it says, and they said, the God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go. We pray thee three days journey into the desert to, and sacrifice unto our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with the sword. When did God say that? He never said he was going to do that. Where is this coming from? It's almost like they were in shock. He's not going to let us go. What do we do now? Let's tell him God's going to kill us all anyways if he doesn't let us go. And so that's what they tell him. He's going to fall on us with a sword. He's going to kill us with pestilence. And so they are, they're pleading their case before him and saying, we need you to let us go just three days into the wilderness. And, but I want you to notice, continue reading in verse number four. And the king of Egypt said unto them, wherefore do ye? Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you under your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of land are now, now are many and ye make them rest from their burdens. Can I tell you what's going on here? Pharaoh is misjudging their desire to worship God as laziness. He's saying, you don't really want to go worship God. You're just being lazy. You just don't want to work. You just want to go out into the wilderness and find some rest from your, your labors. And so uh, he's, giving, he's saying, quit giving me your lame excuses to go and worship this God that you've never talked about before. I've never heard his name before. Now all of a sudden you want to go worship him? No, you're just lazy. Hey, listen, as a manager, I've heard some of the lamest excuses for why people don't come to work. <laughs> My car won't start. Again? It's like the third time this week. Don't you think it's time to get that battery switched out? Don't you think it's time to get that starter, that alternator fixed? Come on, man. Or it might be that, uh, well, I've got a flat tire. You get more flat tires than I've ever heard of in my, I'm sick again. 
Really? You, you, you should probably be in the hospital because you're sicker than anybody I've ever known in my life. It's several times a week. We've, we've had people along the way that were like that. And so sometimes you just wish that people would stop giving their excuses, that they'd just be honest and they just say, I just don't feel like working today. <laughs> At least give me the, don't insult my intelligence by making me think your tire is flat for a 17th time this month. You know, stop running over nails, stop hitting curves, whatever make a change. But a lot of times people just give excuses for why they're just really being lazy. And that's where Pharaoh's at with Israel right now. Because I'm tired of hearing your excuses. I, I don't care about your worship. I care about your work. I want you to be here working. You're just using worship as an excuse to get out of work. Hey, listen, sometimes that's how it's going to be with your boss. When you say, no, I'd like to have Sundays off so I can go and worship God. And he's like, well, wouldn't we all like to have Sundays off so we can go and do whatever we want? You know, and they're just not going to understand that. They're not going to understand the importance of worship. And so when you're trying to follow God, don't be surprised when you are misunderstood, misjudged, misrepresented. You have false narratives put onto you and people are trying to uh, accuse you of ulterior motives because they may mistake your passion uh, for God, uh, for following God uh, to be, you're a radical. (laughs) You're holier than thou. You're a golden boy. You are a goody two shoes. That's who you are. You think you're better than me and people will misrepresent you and mischaracterize you that way. They may attach labels to you call you a bigot, a racist, a homophobe because you go to church or a transphobe because you go to church. They're going to call you a a woman hater because you believe in the preservation and sanctity of human life. And so you're going to be branded certain things. Uh, And so Pharaoh's lack of fear here, his lack of fear of God, his lack of understanding of the importance of worship, what it leads him to do is make life miserable. Make life miserable for the Israelites. See, what he's going to say is, you don't need worship. You need more work. You're idle. Your hands are, you don't have enough work to do. That's why you're giving attention to this Moses and Aaron and this idea of this God that you need to go out and have this feast unto and three days journey and offer this sacrifice. The reason why you have time to even think about worship is because you're not working enough. Look at verse number uh, six. It says, and Pharaoh commanded the same day, the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. Understand part of the slavery for the the nation of Israel here is that they had to make brick for the phenomenal buildings and structures that they made there. And because of the lack of natural stone, they'd make these bricks out of clay and, and mud and straw. But the way that the system was working was the Egyptians would go out and they would gather the straw and they would bring the straw to the Israelites and the Israelites would use that straw to make these bricks. Well, now Pharaoh is saying, you want to go worship God? No, you're just not working enough. And so here's what we're going to do. And he sends the taskmasters and he says, I want you to go and tell the Egyptians, stop gathering straw. Tell the Israelites, you can go and get your own straw since you're so free to go and worship God. And so he tells them, you can go get your own straw, but here's the kicker. You got to maintain your rate of production. Look at verse number eight. He says, uh, and the tail of the bricks, the tail would be literally the, the rate of production. The tail of the bricks 
which they did make heretofore. And when you see that heretofore, it means yesterday and the day before. That's what it's meaning there. And so the tale of the bricks that they make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them. Ye shall not diminish. That means to shave, not even just shave off a little bit uh, thereof. He says, for they be idle and therefore they cry saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let their more work be laid upon the men that they may labor therein and let them not regard vain words. And so now what he's saying, I mean, you get the, the mindset of what he's saying here. The only reason they want to go and worship God is because they're sloppy, they're lazy, and they don't have enough work to do. So if they don't have enough work to do, let's give them more work to do. Let's make them go get the straw and let's make them make the same amount of brick as before. Let's make them so busy working, they have no time for worshiping. How about now? See, America is so busy working, we don't have time for worship anymore. We're so busy accumulating. We're so busy serving our American masters here that we don't have enough time to serve our heavenly master in God. And that's what he's saying is if we give them enough work to do, they won't regard these vain words. We're going to make them so miserable, they don't even want to go serve God anymore. How about that? And so in verse 10 he sends the taskmasters out and the officers and they go to the children of Israel and, and they install uh, Pharaoh's new legislation. He tells them, we're not getting you straw anymore. You've got to go out, collect your own straw, and you've got to maintain your rate of production. You've got to still make the same amount of bricks. And so now the nation of Israel is... They're, they're scattered abroad throughout the land of Egypt and they're collecting together not just straw, but the stubble, every last scrap of straw that they can get and they're bringing it all, but the problem is they're falling behind. They're not keeping up with the production. And so you look at verse 14, it says, and the officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded Wherefore have ye not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as heretofore, as you did the day before and the day before that? Why have you not maintained the production? And so now what the taskmasters have done is they have brought the elders of Israel together and they have said, hey, your people, they have interrogated them. Your people are not keeping up. Why are they not keeping up? And they have now beaten them. They've beaten them for it. So you have a people that is already being oppressed, already being abused, already, uh, already being overworked to the core. And yet now, ever since Moses and Aaron go and stand before Pharaoh, as God told them to do, things have only gotten much worse. <laughs> They bought into God's plan. They believed that God was going to bring a deliverance, that God had a better life for them in Canaan than he had for them in Egypt. And so they are completely bought into this plan, trying to improve their situation. And yet it's like the more they tried to improve their situation, the worse things got. That's how I feel like when I'm working on a car. It's notorious. When I work on a car, to improve the situation of that car, it just gets worse. This time I was replacing a sensor in my wife's car and I snapped off the bolt. Now the bolt, and so I got to drill the bolt out. I got to rethread that, that uh, whatever it's called, insert, and, uh, and I got to just start over again. 
I was replacing my wife's brakes. If many of you know what happened with this, that my torque wrench was not working. And so I was putting the lug nuts back on, didn't realize it wasn't working. It was over torqued. And then when my wife is driving to church on a Saturday or Sunday morning back in October, her wheel fell off. (laughs) And so now the car ends up in the shop. I'm trying to make it better and it just gets worse. And so it's in the shop for a couple of months. And then now we get it back and it was still kind of vibrating weird. So I decided to replace the rotors. And in the process of replacing the rotors, I, I was tightening the bracket mount back on and, and stripped it (laughs) and I couldn't get it re-threaded right. And so I had to buy a new bracket mount. So I put that on and that thing is still making all kinds of weird sounds out of that one wheel. The same wheel has still a worse problem than it was before. I mean, every single time I'm working on a car and I try to make things better, I just make them much worse. (laughs) And that's what's going on with Israel here. They're thinking things are going to get better. And yet things have gotten much worse. And, and, you know, a lot of times that's what happens in our lives is when we commit ourselves to God and we say, all right, I'm going to be more faithful in church. I'm going to give my tithe. I'm going to give more to missions. I'm going to get involved in some kind of service. I'm going to get involved in outreach. I'm going to surrender my life to God's call in my life. And we begin following God. We would think that we start following God and things are going to improve in our lives. But a lot of times you can find that things get much worse before they really get better that you can actually lose your job. Somebody will say, you can't work on Sundays, you're gone. You can find that when you start tithing, you start giving to missions, that all of a sudden your financial problems keep coming up and unexpected costs keep rising and things keep breaking down. You can't seem to get on top of it. (laughs) Just when you decided we're going to cut debt, we're going to cut expenses, those things flare up on you. And it gets difficult. As soon as you surrender to God's call, boom, you're hit with some kind of health crisis. Uh, you're estranged by your family, disowned by your family because of your choice to follow God in a particular way. I remember my in-laws when they were going to Mexico City that my mother-in-law's parents were adamantly opposed to it. They dreaded and feared for their safety, wrote my mother-in-law out of their will, and, and I mean, just would not even talk to them much. It was a very sad situation. I thank God that that eventually turned around, that her father got saved on his deathbed. I'm so thankful for that. She has a great relationship with her parents, her brothers and sisters, a different story. Uh, But there's at least a good relationship there with the parents. But I'm telling you, when they surrendered to God's call and said, we're taking the grandbabies down to Mexico, her parents said, no, you're out. You're out. And that can happen a lot of times. That when you're trying to follow God, things can just get worse. And when things get worse, listen, that's when you get discouraged. See, when things got worse for Israel, everybody got discouraged. Would you look at me at verse 15? And so the officers have been beaten. They've been placed, had this high demand placed upon them. And verse 15 says, And the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou thus with thy servant? Hey, why are you beating on us? Why are you impressing this load upon us? He says in verse 16, There's no straw given unto thy servants. And they say unto us, Make brick. And behold, thy servants are beaten, but the fault is in thine own people. They're saying, they're saying, hey, things have gotten much worse and they're very discouraged. They're very downhearted by this. The first thing they do is they go to their boss, they go to Pharaoh and they say, I demand a pay raise. 
I demand more staff. They said, come on, Pharaoh, help us out here. Why are you bringing this on us? This, this isn't our fault. This is your fault. Why are they beating on us? And so you can just tell that they're angry. They're discouraged. And you know what? They're certainly not going to find any empathy or any help from Pharaoh. Verse 17 says, but he said, ye are idle. Ye are idle. Lazy. Lazy. Your hands aren't doing enough. You need more work. Therefore, you say, let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. He says, go therefore now and work, for there shall no straw be given you, and, ye sh- and, 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 and neither yet shall ye deliver the tail of the brick. No, you go out, get your own straw, and keep making the same amount of bricks. I have no help for you. <laughs> well, now they get further discouraged. Verse 19 says, The officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in an evil case after it was said, Ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. And they met Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way as they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge. <laughs> it says, because ye have made our savor to be abhorred. This is the same language as when Jacob's boys slaughtered the men of Shechem, and he said, you've made me to stink before the inhabitants of the land. So they're saying, by you going and getting in Pharaoh's face, you have made the rest of us to stink. This is your fault. Moses and Aaron are like, we're just following God. We came to you. We told you God has visited us. We told you God wants to get us out of here and God's going to deliver us. And and we're all in this together, I thought, you know. That's what I imagine they're thinking. They said, we've been abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. Now because of what you have done, because you are following God, because you are dragging us along with you, They want to kill us. You can sense the grief. You can sense the discouragement that's going on in their hearts. And when they are discouraged, they voice their complaints to men. When they come to a place where they've had a bad experience in following God, they have voiced their experience before Pharaoh. They have voiced their experience before their spiritual leaders, and they are unsatisfied. See, this is why we have Yelp. You go to a restaurant and the service is terrible and the food is cold and there are flies swarming your table and there's a hair in your food. Nasty. And and the manager's not going to do anything about it. They're not going to help you with it. And so once you leave the restaurant, you get out your app and and you go to write your one-star review and you're like, bad service, bad management, bad leadership, bad uh, food, bad atmosphere. I mean, everything about this experience was absolutely terrible. That's what we do. What's going on here is the officers have been beaten by their bosses and they're coming to Pharaoh and they're writing a one-star review and saying bad work environment, abusive bosses, awful situation here. And then they come before Moses and they're writing a one-star review, bad leadership, bad decisions, bad culture, bad choice here. Following God has been an awful experience for us. 
That's truly how you can feel sometimes as you're trying to follow God. As you're trying to do what he wants you to do. Nothing's going the way that you thought it should. Things have only gotten worse and you can become immensely discouraged by the experiencing of following God and that's exactly where the enemy wants you to be. See, when you decide, I'm going to commit to following God, I'm going to obey God, I'm going to get faithful in church, I'm going to do what God expects of me in his word, I'm going to start serving God. It's like you have put a massive target on your back that says, Satan, attack me. And that's exactly what he does. He starts coming at your life, and the way that he attacks you is he throws bad experiences in your way, and he throws obstacles in your way to try to trip you up, to try to discourage you, to try to get you to the place where you're going to doubt God, you're going to question his goodness in your life, you're going to question his calling in your life, and he just wants you to get to the place like Pharaoh was with Israel, that you're so miserable in following God, you don't even want to follow him anymore. That's where he wants to get you. He wants to get you to the place where you write bad reviews. To a place where you voice your opinion to your boss. You demand a pay raise. You demand a, a shift change. You apply for credit cards or alternative income or ask family for help. Most often, here's what you find. When you appeal to man, man has no help to offer you. The officers of Israel went before Pharaoh, no help. They go before Moses and Aaron, no answers. I, uh, uh, God told us to do this. We just did it. He said he was going to deliver us, but he's, he's not. <laughs> they had no answers for them. They got discouraged. And that's a lot of times what happens to us as well. Let's see, when you get discouraged, here's what we do. We take our discouragement somewhere. You might even take it out somewhere. You might take your discouragement out on your spouse. You might take your discouragement out on your kids. You might take your discouragement out on your boss or on your coworkers, but you might also just take your discouragement to somebody. You might bring it to your spouse. Just say, I'm so, I'm so down right now. I mean, I thought we were doing the right thing, but it seems like everything has just turned into chaos and everything's out of order. And I don't know what to do. You might even bring it to your pastor and say, pastor, I need your help. I need to know uh, how to get out of, of, of this issue. And your pastor has no good answers for you. Or it could be that you went to your pastor for help and your pastor offers you some counsel and offers you some guidance and you decide, well, this is the man of God that God has placed in my life. And so there's some wisdom there. I know he reads the Bible. I know he walks with God. And so I'm going to follow his counsel. And you follow the counsel of your pastor. And it's the very counsel that he gives you that lands you in the current mess that you're in. And then you get mad at your pastor. And then you go on Yelp and you write a bad review about the church and about the pastor. Worst advice ever. Not a professional counselor. Don't go here. You'll end up a mess and you just end up being so struggling and so discouraged that you even take it out on your leadership just like Israel did with Moses and Aaron. See, they're following God. Everything goes south. They get discouraged. They voice their complaints to man. Man has no help. Even Moses voiced his complaints. 
But when Moses voiced his complaints, he brought them to the right place. Would you look at me at verse number 21, 22? And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so an evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. So he's coming to the Lord, but he's got some questions. He's got some doubt. It seems almost a little sketchy the way he's coming before God. Because what he's doing is he's questioning God's goodness. He's saying, God, why have you treated this people so badly? He's questioning his call. Why have you sent me here? He's, he's questioning God's character. You said you were going to do one thing, and you're not doing it. You said you are going to deliver them, but you're not delivering them. And so he's, he's pouring out his complaint. Hey, let's just say here for a minute, when you're doing what God has called you to do, you can be doing everything right. And life comes crashing down before you and you come to a place of discouragement. There are going to be times in your life when you question God's goodness, times when you question God's calling, time when you question God's character. But here is the difference between the children of Israel and Moses. The children of Israel went to sources that offered no help for them, but Moses went to the source that actually could help them. Look at chapter six, verse one. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. <laughs> see, understand this. Moses and Israel has seen what Pharaoh will do to them. And now there's discouragement going on. There's oppression. Things have gotten worse. They're discouraged. They're pouring out their complaints everywhere. But Moses actually brings his complaint to God. And here's what God says. You've seen what Pharaoh can do to you. Now I'm going to show you what I can do to Pharaoh. <laughs> you know what God is saying here? Uh, and let me just point this out. God doesn't come at Moses for questioning him. When, when Moses is in this deep grief, this deep discouragement, this deep doubt, God just comes to him and says, look, you don't need to doubt. You don't need to question. I am who I said I am. That's what he's going to go on to say that we're going to see here in a couple weeks. That he's going to go on to say, no, I am, I am. I am Jehovah. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let me just put it this way. I am still is. I'm still here to help you. <laughs> And so when Moses brought it before the Lord, he brought it to somebody who could actually help him. You know, one of the things that I wonder is to go back to thinking about working on cars. In spite of the fact that every time I work on a car, it gets worse. You know what I keep doing? I keep working on cars. <laughs> like a glutton for punishment. <laughs> I continue trying to replace brakes. <laughs> I continue, continue relying on my tools. I continue relying on YouTube and manuals and trying to just figure it out on my own. I mean, I could turn to a mechanic, but they're going to charge me an arm and a leg. And so I just keep on trying to solve my problems myself. But you know what? Sometimes I forget. I've got a father. I got a father who has done a lot of work on cars. He's replaced a lot of brakes in his life. He's done a lot of oil changes in his life. 
He's done some work on engines. He's done some work on transmissions. He's dropped axles out of there and put new axles in. He's taken, uh, along with my brother, axles out of a Chevy pickup and put it in an old Jeep. <laughs> like he's done some body modification and some welding. And my, my dad's got a ton of tools, a garage full of tools that he can use to work on cars. And, and I, I just know that that when I'm frustrated and when I'm trying to fix my problems and nothing's getting done, if I would just go to my father, it would sure make my life a lot simpler because he could help me because he's got the knowledge, he's got the experience, he's got the tools to be able to do it. And yet for some reason, why do I keep trying to fix these things on my own? (laughs) You know what I wonder? Why we're always going to man to try to fix our problems. You know what I wonder? Why are we always trying to rely on ourselves to fix the struggles that we're in? Especially when we have entered into them as a direct result of following God. It's like God led me into this situation. Now I got to get myself out of this situation. And we continue to rely on ourselves. And we turn to creditors to bail us out of problems. And and we turn to therapists to help get over some of our our inner depression and struggles and things. I'm not saying that's always wrong. What I'm saying is oftentimes our first response when we're going through challenges of life and we're discouraged by the hardships of life is to turn to man for help and we forget so often that we have a father in heaven a father who has all the tools that we need a father who has the knowledge that we need the wisdom and the understanding that we need we have a father who led us into the situation who can get us out of the situation and yet why do we continue to turn to man to try to get out of the problems that we're in we have a father A father who loves us. A father who gave his life for us. A father who is our redeemer. Do you understand when Moses poured out his complaint before the Lord, he was pouring out his complaint before his redeemer. That this was the God who came into his life and said, I'm going to step in. I have heard your cries. I've seen your affliction and I am come to deliver. I am come to save. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I have a plan of salvation, a plan of redemption to rid you of this bondage and make you a free people to worship and to have a relationship with me. He was calling out to his redeemer. And let me just say this to you. When you're following God, the God who loves you, the God who gave his only begotten son, that if you would believe in him, you would not perish, but have everlasting life. The God who gave his everything for your salvation is your redeemer. And he tells you over and over again in the scripture that you can call him your father, that your redeemer is also your father. And what he's telling us through this text tonight is that when he leads you into a situation and life seems to get much worse before it ever gets better and you're down in the pits and you're discouraged and you're depressed that you don't need to turn to man who cannot help you. You need to look your eyes to your redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loves you and who came and lived a perfect life for you and yet died a criminal's death for you so that you could be saved when he gave you everything when he solved your greatest problem why couldn't he help fix your problems that you deal with as his child 
I'm just astounded at how God puts things together that on Sunday in Luke chapter 18, we're talking about being discouraged in your prayer life because your, your answers are delayed. And Jesus said, just keep praying. Don't stop praying. You keep praying. You keep praying. You keep praying. Because in God's timing, he's going to come through and he's going to give you the answer you need. And then here we are on Thursday night. And you know what God's saying? When you're discouraged, when you're following me and life is in the pits and things don't seem to be going well, pour out your complaint to me. You don't know how Moses dealt with discouragement. He brought it to the Lord. He brought it to the Lord. The children of Israel went to Pharaoh, no help. They even went to godly men like Moses and Aaron, no help. But when Moses went to his redeemer, his redeemer said, I will show you what I will do to Pharaoh. While they can't help you, I can help. And he wants us to understand tonight that if he so loved us, that he gave his only begotten son, that we might believe and not perish and have everlasting life, that when you're discouraged, what you need to do is lift your eyes to your redeemer and remember the price he paid for you and the depth of his love for you. Hey, listen, why bring your discouragement to Christ? For one, he hears you when no one else will when your boss doesn't have your ear, when your wife doesn't have your ear, when your husband doesn't have your ear, when your dad doesn't have your ear, when your children don't have your ear, when nobody's listening to you, Christ is listening to you. He's a faithful high priest. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He hears you when no one else will. You know why else you should bring it to him? He loves you when no one else does that when you're going through difficulty and you feel like nobody has care, nobody has compassion, nobody has any love and kindness for you, you can look back to the cross and remember, he has love for me, he has kindness for me, he has compassion on me, he saved my soul while I was yet a sinner. He loves you when no one else does. He understands what you're going through when no one else does. Jesus lived his life. He said this in John, I do always those things that please my father. He lived his life in utter and complete submission and subjection to his father and his submission to his father led him straight into suffering. Suffering you and I could never imagine. And yet he was obedient unto death even the death of the cross. You know what Philippians 2 goes on to say? Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus lived in subjection to his Father, things got much worse before they got better. A lot of times that is how it'll work in our lives. We got to remember the pathway to following Jesus is a pathway that is paved through suffering. But a lot of times 
when you're following God, he leads you down into the valley of suffering. And through that suffering, he teaches you things about himself that you in no other way come to know of him. And he brings you through the other side. And he does some astounding things. And he gives you the right job. And he gives you the right place to live. And he provides the healing that you need. And he provides the spouse that you need. And he provides you with everything you need. And so when you are discouraged because life has gotten hard in following God, pour out your discouragement before the Lord because he can be everything you need exactly when you need it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. I'm thankful that you are a God who welcomes your children to pour out even their discouragement to you. Even when it comes from a sinful and embittered heart like Moses had, you are forgiving gracious and kind and you are quick to step in and say they can't help but I can help and I pray father that as we travel this road of discipleship and following you and we face those challenges of life and we are tempted to be discouraged may we find encouragement in the fact that you have redeemed us it called us your own forgiven us of every sin and cleansed us and made us acceptable in your sight through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ help us to anchor our souls to who Jesus is and find the help that we need when we're most discouraged it's in Jesus name I pray Amen.